Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast Franchise Tag Edition. Uh, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. We have a lot to go over, particularly as we kind of kick off the pre-free agency frenzy known as Franchise Tag Week. A lot of, uh, I guess you could say, big moves or maybe precursor moves made at the franchise tag deadline. A total of 10 players have been franchised. We're going to talk about all of them as well as some notable players that we thought were going to be franchised that are now going to be hitting the open market uh, this coming week. Again, lots to go over, but before we do that, I want to thank my wonderful co-host EJ for being here tonight. Buddy, how you doing, and what are you drinking? I'm good. We get to talk about football. We get to talk about some free agency. We'll get into the, the salary cap just a little bit because the salary cap is odd this year, as most of you know, and... That's having an effect on franchise tags, of all things. It's affecting a lot of things. We're going to see that over the next week. But to drink, I have a Lush IPA from Fremont Brewing right up the road in Seattle. Um, One of my favorite football beers in season and just happened to grab a six-pack of it and throw it in the fridge. So that's what I'm going to be drinking tonight. What is in your glass? So I have... uh something I made myself that I was inspired by. I had a drink, uh, went out to dinner with the wife for the first time in a while uh, up in LA last week, and they had something on the menu that sounded amazing, and it was amazing, and so I decided to go buy a bottle myself and make it myself, and it's a Calvados Old Fashioned, which if you are a brandy or, or you know cognac lover, Calvados is a type of brandy made from apples and sometimes pears, depending on the kind you get and so it's like an apple pear brandy and you make an old-fashioned out of it with angostura bitters and you know the simple syrup and just kind of a normal old-fashioned ratios but with this apple brandy uh and it is insane like it is incredibly smooth um it's it's one of the most dangerously sippable cocktails i've ever had in my life and uh i truly am thankful for stumbling upon it at that restaurant uh, which is called, uh, I think it's pronounced Zinc over in downtown LA. There's a few different locations, but they, they introduced me to this, and uh, it's something that I think I'm going to be making until the day I die because it's so damn good. So it's a Calvados old-fashioned. Um, now, getting into these franchise tags, uh, there were a few pretty big-name players that, that got the tag and a few maybe not-so-well-named players. All of them, though, I think were deserving of it in terms of just kind of 
or at least most of them, I think we're deserving of it. Just kind of looking at the quality of player. Uh, all 10 of these guys that caught the tag were, I think, guys that, that you really don't want to hit the free agency market. Because keep in mind, it is kind of a weird year for tags with the salary cap drop. You know, tags are relatively more expensive than in years past because it's not based on cap room. It's based on, you know, whatever the top salaries at the position are. So the cap numbers are still, say, uh, or I should say the, the franchise tag numbers are still staying high while the cap is going lower this year because of COVID and everything like that. So it's exorbitantly expensive to tag a player this year. So you kind of really only saw it used on, on players that these teams absolutely did not want to lose under any circumstances. So I think all of these, or again, at least most of them fit that bill. Uh, reading off the list here, we got Chris Godwin, wide receiver from the Buccaneers, Justin Simmons, the all-pro caliber safety for the Broncos, Allen Robinson, one of the best receivers in the league for Chicago, Cam Robinson, uh, left tackle for the Jaguars that they really like, maybe hasn't quite lived up, lived up to what I thought he was going to be coming out of the draft quite yet, but you know, they have money to spare down in Jacksonville and they really don't want to have to, you know, reset at left tackle. So that kind of makes sense. Leonard Williams just had a career year over with the Giants, uh, which I don't think either you or I saw that coming, but uh, so he caught the tag. Marcus May, one of the best safeties in the league, caught it for uh, for the Jets. Brandon Scherf, an elite guard for Washington. Taylor Moton, a very good tackle for Carolina that can also play guard for them. He's got, honestly, he could play three or four different positions for them, but uh, I think his best spot is a tackle. And then Marcus Williams, the free safety for the Saints. Dak, uh, also technically counts as the 10th guy that got the tag, but it was just a placeholder for his big contract that got signed that we'll talk about later. So all in all, 10 guys got tagged. Most of them, I think, were kind of franchise cornerstones that absolutely, like, nobody wanted to hit the market. Um, overall, EJ, when you look at these list of 10, technically nine guys, which ones jump out to you the most? The first one that jumps out to me is definitely Allen Robinson. This has been a saga if you've been following it in Chicago. Uh, for those of us Bears fans, Chicago largely mishandled the Robinson situation and has for quite a while. There was some drama over whether this tag was actually going to occur. Most people had settled that it was, but there was the possibility that they were going to let him walk. Again, a tight cap year. Chicago's currently over the cap, about $17 million. Won't be that hard for them to get underneath. But adding a franchise tag, again, that is relatively more expensive, and again, because you waited, wasn't a sure thing. But if they had let Allen Robinson walk, they would be looking at a receiving core that largely consisted of Darnell Mooney and not much else. Anthony Miller has been inconsistent. Riley Ridley has not played a ton. Uh, you go on down the list, there's just not a lot of receiving talent. You need receiving talent in this league to succeed. So if Robinson left, there was going to be a massive hole that they were going to have to try and fill. So happy that it occurred. Uh, I think it's well-deserved. I know players do not like the tag. That's something we should probably talk about is if you are a player in the NFL, you do not want to be tagged. You want a long-term contract. You do not want to play on basically a one-year deal, which is what the franchise tag is. It doesn't give you any security, and it does give you one of the highest salaries in the league at your position. That's what the franchise tag is, but it basically makes you one year older and doesn't maximize your earning potential uh, going forward. If you get injured, uh, it's going to be difficult to sign 
a deal next year. We've seen that happen in the past. So franchise tags are not a player's friend, and you will see most players say they do not want the tag. And even if they get the tag, they want the team to keep working towards negotiating a longer-term extension. So while Robinson may not be thrilled, uh, Bears fans everywhere are breathing a sigh of relief that he will likely be playing in Chicago next year. He, of course, could be tagged and traded, but the likelihood he is probably going to be a Bear next year, and that's a very good thing. So that was the first one that stuck out to me. What stuck out to you? Before I kind of get into into my first one, I do want to comment on the Robinson thing a little bit. And I, I know you and I talked about this before the show, but... I kind of feel like Nagy and Pace are in such all-in mode that they wouldn't have tagged Robinson if they didn't think that they could pay that off, as in like pay off the aggression of getting a or of keeping a true number one wide receiver if they didn't have a plan for a quarterback. And you know, you and I have kind of mentioned in a, in a couple past shows, and and the one where we really talked about it. Unfortunately, the audio got corrupted for last week's show where we did bootleg all pro. Uh, so we couldn't release that, but we spent a fair amount of time talking about, you know, there's a whole lot of smoke up in Seattle about Russell Wilson becoming a bear, and it's starting to look like there might be a little bit of fire too. I kind of feel like Chicago would not have tagged Robinson unless they were confident that they could pay off that move by also packaging that and, and getting Wilson or maybe Deshaun Watson. Wilson's probably the more likely one at this point. Again, this is a this is a front office and a coaching staff that is more desperate than I think I've seen. You know, really any any organization be in a long time. Like they know they are fired if they don't pull this off, and so I kind of feel like this Robinson move and then Russell Wilson, you know, tweeting almost um, celebratory, literally two minutes after that news was announced. Am I a conspiracy theorist for thinking that this is all kind of connected here? No, you're not. There are more and more pieces dropping into line that make it look possible, not for sure, but possible that Russell Wilson will actually move and actually be the quarterback of the Bears. So the Robinson move is one. Russell, of course, famously put out a list of four teams that he would accept a trade to. That's a big deal because he's one of the few players in the NFL with a no trade clause. So he can veto a clause to, he can veto a trade to a team that he does not approve of. Chicago was on that list. The other three teams on that list, Las Vegas, Dallas, and the saints. And the saints were kind of a throwaway from the beginning. They're some tens of millions over the cap was never a likely destination for him. Las Vegas was possible, but uh, the Las Vegas brass, uh, Mike Mayock and John Gruden have said, nope, we are absolutely 100% in on Carr. Uh, He's our guy. Now, they've said that before and moved on, but they never looked to be serious players. Dallas had the spot and potentially the money, but they just handed Dak his bag. And this really leaves the Bears as sort of the last team standing. That doesn't mean it's going to happen, but that means they're sort of the last team there. And as you said, they have need. They are willing to sell the farm to get a quarterback. And boy, should they, because Chicago has not had a great quarterback in the modern era. Russell Wilson would be the best Bears quarterback in modern era history, just walking off the plane in Chicago. So you need a wide receiver. You can't bring in Wilson and not have any weapons for him. So retaining Robinson, it looks like the first part of that. There are a couple other small indicators. 
Russell Wilson futures bets have been taken down on a few websites, and the very same websites have dropped the Bears Super Bowl odds uh, to more reasonable levels. Uh, those sorts of things don't tend to happen uh, without a little bit of inside information changing hands. Casinos don't do those things without some decent information. So uh, it just looks like it's more and more possible. Now, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if you'd asked me two weeks ago, I would have said eh, 15, maybe 20% chance, one in five, you know, that Russell shoots his way out of Seattle and ends up in Chicago. I would say that number's getting closer to 50-50. Again, it doesn't mean it's going to happen. It could just as easily fall apart for a hundred reasons, but it is far more likely at this point, given everything that's transpired, than it has been at any point up till now. And if I said I wasn't at least a little teensy bit excited by that, I would be lying hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> um, a- another, honestly, kind of sneaky elite player, because I consider Allen Robinson sneaky elite. Like, he's a star, but I-, I feel like even though he's a star, people really don't understand how damn good he is. Marcus May, I think, is in that similar category where, like, everybody knows he's good, but I, I feel like unless you really sat down and watched every single Jets game, which I have, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, however you want to define that, uh, you you really don't get the sense of how special Marcus May is when he's healthy, which luckily last year he was healthy. He is one of the four, potentially three best safeties in the league. And in terms of like run support, deep coverage, you can put him in the slot. He is a true do-it-all safety. He's not as good a pass rusher as Jamal Adams, maybe not as good a run defender, but in terms of just being a complete DB, he's the best one the Jets have. And they absolutely could not let him get to the market or else he would reset the safety market. So that, I think, was a very, very um, prudent tag because even with a lot of the safeties that we do like in this draft class, none of them, and I mean literally none of them, are as good as Marcus May. Yeah, May deserves his money, and I did watch every Jets game this year like you did, and in the first five or six weeks of the season, Marcus May was really a revelation. I liked him coming out. I loved him after the first six weeks of this season. I really, we thought, oh, okay, you know, they weren't going to trade Jamal Adams until they got to the draft, and picked up a safety that we both like from Cal. We were really focusing on the rookie, and we should have been focusing on the incumbent. Marcus May did it all for the Jets early in the season, and again, uh, deep safety coverage in the flats, coming up to snuff out screens hard, uh, filling holes on run support. He was everywhere. He is fast. He is smart. He puts himself in good positions, hits very hard. Uh, That was definitely part of his draft profile. Marcus May is an all-around safety, a great talent. I think Robert Saul and his staff are really looking forward to working with players like Marcus May, who have demonstrated a lot of talent in a not-too-great situation and trying to put them in a better situation. So, uh, you know, good for the Jets. Again, Marcus May may not like it, but overall, it's not a bad move. The safety market, free agent safety market this year is absolutely flooded. As you mentioned, the draft is not bereft of safeties there are some good safeties coming out of college this year it's a tough year to be a safety there's not a lot of money to go around this guarantees marcus may again a top five salary at the position uh average of the top five salaries at the position and gives him a chance to work with a brand new staff which is defensively minded 
just a just a really good thing happening to a really good player. He doesn't get his long-term deal, which I know he's probably upset about, but it could be a lot worse for both the Jets and May. So this is kind of a win-win situation. One of the, just kind of speaking of safety tags here, one of the tags that I was absolutely perplexed by, and this has nothing to do with him as a player, was Marcus William for the Saints, who's a good safety like, don't get me wrong, he's a good safety. But they already, like, going into, you know, this whole kind of restructure period where they're trying to get under the cap, they started out, like, 65, 70 million over. And then you're throwing this franchise tag on top of it, which, as we said, is not based on where the cap is. It's based on average of top five contracts. So it's even more, like, I guess you could say like proportionally expensive than normal. And you were already with the least amount of cap space in the league. Like this move to me, he's good, but is he an absolutely irreplaceable piece of that defense that, that you are going out of your way to make your cap struggles even more difficult? Like they don't have any other receivers besides Michael Thomas. They had to release Emmanuel Sanders directly because of this move because they had to do stuff to get under the cap. And they're still, you know, they've done a whole lot. They've still got like 35 million to go. Like, I just, I don't understand this. Yeah, it's perplexing in a couple of ways, and it doesn't have anything to do with Marcus Williams as a player. Marcus Williams is a player that I liked coming out in the draft. He performed very well. He had one notable letdown in a very big game, and a lot of people got on him, but he was tremendous that entire year and certainly deserves to get paid. But there are a couple factors here that make this really strange. Uh, one is the timing. New Orleans way, way, way over the cap. The other that we mentioned, there are a lot of ways to replace him in the current landscape. There's guys you can draft. There's tons of guys in free agency. Like the free agent safety class is as loaded as I've seen it ever. There's so much talent top to bottom. And again, with tight cap space this year, people are going to be taking minimum salary deals or extremely low salary deals that are one year so that they can get back to the promised land. Because next year, and we should talk about this, the cap is going to jump up again. It's going to go right back to previous levels and smash through those because Disney just threw like two plus billion at the NFL for Mm -hmm. season TV rights. So after we get through this one down COVID year, you're going to see record salary cap levels. Everybody's going to want short term and the ability to dip back in when there's more cash in the pool. So very odd for the Saints. Again, cash strapped this year or capped strapped this year. Lots of other pending contracts that you have mentioned, Lattimore, Ramchek, those guys. And a huge labor pool in both free agency and the draft that they could have replaced Williams, who is a very good player. And for some reason, they say, nope, we're going to tag him in the most expensive tag year in in recent history. Uh, Very, very strange move. Love the player. Don't love the move from a from a team building perspective. Like, I mean, what would you rather do? Pay Marcus Williams top five safety money, which you're going to do or get a one-year deal for Keanu Neal, who's going to be looking for a one-year mercenary deal, or uh, I guess DeMonte, really any of the Atlanta safeties. I'm pretty sure Ricardo Allen's a free agent right now. 
who's who's going to be looking for a one year deal? Like, I just I don't I don't understand. Like, I know Mickey Loomis is going to find a way to make it work. He always does. I just don't know what he's going to do to make it work. Like, whether he's throwing out void years, whether he's just trading guys. Like, I just I kind of feel like some of the priorities here, <laughs> like. You have an elite right tackle that you might not be able to keep. You have a very, very, very talented young corner who's been admittedly up and down, but he's still extremely talented in Marshawn Lattimore. I don't know. I just, I feel like their priorities are a little bit out of whack. Um, And I just, I heavily disagree with this move. And again, it has nothing to do with, with Marcus Williams. He's a good safety, but he's not Justin Simmons, who's an elite safety. He's right up there, if not even better than Marcus May who just caught the tag from Denver, but at least I can look at the Justin Simmons move and be like, yeah, he's the straw that stirs the drink in that Vic Fangio defense because Vic Fangio needs to have great safeties that can hold up on an island out in, out in man coverage when they're playing quarters. Or he needs to have a guy that can drop down into a hook zone and, and you know he can rob underneath or he can play the run when he's dropping down like that or when they kind of present too high and instead of dropping down, he can rotate back to deep middle. Like he's an elite you know, center field safety as well. Um, you know, he's one of the few guys that, that you look at that tag and you say, okay, I can see the argument for that being worth it because he is that kind of dude. Whereas Marcus Williams, again, for as good as he is, he's not on that level. But since I did bring up Justin Simmons, I, I kind of do want to get your take on this. Where are you at with this tag? Do you feel like it was justified? Do you feel like the Broncos are in a position where they can absorb that kind of money? Do you feel like they're in a little bit of a soft rebuild? So maybe it's a misallocation of resources. Do you feel like they're like, are, are you a Drew Locke believer and that they need Justin Simmons <laughs> to really make a push with Drew Locke in, in a loaded AFC West? There's been a lot of debate in Broncos country about this Justin Simmons tag because some feel like they're in a rebuild. Some feel like they're not in a rebuild. There's a lot of divided opinions on it, mostly not because of Justin Simmons, the player, but just the state of the franchise. Yeah, for sure. Justin Simmons is a tremendously good safety. He is versatile. I would say he's top five, and some people might not pay attention because he is not necessarily the flashiest. He's definitely not the biggest name, but he is quality, quality, quality. He's super, super talented. He's also only 28 years old, so you can tag this guy, and I don't think the Broncos are that far away. I think if Drew Locke gels a quarterback with all the offensive firepower we talked about last year, assembling that track team to keep up with the Chiefs didn't really materialize. Cortland Sutton got hurt. There's a lot of things that happen, but I don't think they're that far away. And either way, I think Justin Simmons is one of the guys. He's good enough, right? And I mean good enough to be in the top five. He's homegrown. He plays a premium position in the modern NFL. You've got to have rangy defensive backs, especially in that division. I don't think you get any better by letting Justin Simmons go. So if they can't afford it in any way, monetarily, I think you have to keep him in the fold. And I think that's what this tag is really a reflection of sort of outside of any other argument. It's like, look, he's a good player, almost borderline great player, top five player in the NFL at his position, a position of need that we need to compete in our division. He's 28. We just, we pay him right? We don't let him out the door. And I think that's what this tag is. The good thing is they still have 
32 million in space. Um, so, like, they, they still have some room to make more additions. Obviously, they're going to be signing their rookie class. Um, there's just been debate about is Denver rebuilding or not? And to be honest, I don't even know yet because I really don't know what to think of Drew Locke yet. And their status as up-and-coming team versus team in transition is literally dependent on will Drew Locke develop or not. I think that's why we saw some rumblings about them going after Watson. We saw some rumblings about them you know, maybe kind of sniffing around for Wilson. By the way, could you imagine that? Can you imagine... If the Watson thing, as predicted, goes to, you know, Watson digging in and the Texans dragging their heels and it actually goes to live game action, goes a couple of weeks and finally the Texans are like, forget it. We got to get value. We got to move on. He's not going to play for us. He's serious. You know, he's taken the, the financial hit to not step back on the field for us. And Denver swoops in. <laughs> Can you imagine Watson running that offense? Like... And I kind of feel like Denver doesn't even know if they would if they would uh, swoop in because I feel like even they don't know what Drew Locke is yet. Like this, Denver is like the hardest team for me to figure out, and that's why I was looking at this Justin Simmons tag and I was like, is that justified? Like justified in the sense, yeah, he's a great player, but it's like, where are they at? Like, is this gonna help them? You know, get over the hump. Yeah, I guess you could say. It's like, is this gonna help them win the division? Or or is their quarterback situation so prohibitive that they wouldn't win the division anyway? So is it really a smart use of their money? Like, that's what I was trying to really decide this week of, like, are they close enough that this makes sense? Like, the Jets, they have all the money in the world. It doesn't matter what they pay Marcus May. And they have a high pick. Like, they're, they got a new coaching staff. You could potentially land a really good rookie quarterback. Like, the Jets can get good really, really fast. The Broncos are in that weird spot where it's like they're too good to be bad enough to get a great quarterback, but they're too bad to like compete in the division right now. And I just I don't know what they are. So that's why the Simmons tag was so hard for me to figure out. I think it really comes down to Locke. Like all these arguments are about Locke, right? And if Locke's yeah. good then the Broncos are fine. If Locke's bad, they're just where every other team in the NFL without a good quarterback is. They're they're not good because they don't yeah. have the one position that you need. I think, again, the Simmons decision is probably kind of agnostic of that, which is weird to say. He's just one of those guys that's good enough. I mean, look at how it would look on the reverse, right? If you've got $30 million in cap space and you've got a defensive team leader who is an NFL almost NFL best in his position is 28 and you let him walk with 32 million available. What, what does that say? Right. We had a tremendous player that we're not wrong. That was awesome. We had plenty of money and we let him walk like, uh, okay. Like I would have way more trouble defending that than the tag. I, uh, I actually hundred percent agree with that. That's a, that's a really good take actually. Um, Moving on to a couple offensive line tags here, because we got a lot to go through. Uh, Brandon Scherf and Taylor Moton, Scherf being one of the elite of the elite interior linemen in the entire league. When when we had that unfortunately lost bootleg All-Pro episode, he was on both of our individual All-Pro teams. One of the best guards in the league, but he could also probably play tackle. He could probably play center. Like He's one of those five-tool offensive linemen where... Doesn't really matter where you're putting him in the lineup, he's going to perform. 
And then uh, Taylor Moton, again, uh, he's more, he's not super quick, but he's got length, tons of power. He's one of those guys where it's like, just don't let him get his hands on you or you're done. Uh, he's, he's one, he's in that kind of mold of just big mauling pass protectors that, that I tend to have a pretty big soft spot for. What was your take on Washington keeping Scherf and Carolina, at least unexpectedly to me, I did, I did not think they were going to do this, uh, throwing the tag on Taylor Moton. Yeah, I'll handle Scherf real, real quickly. He's, you know, probably a top 10 offensive lineman in the NFL, uh, certainly top two or three at guard uh right up there behind quentin nelson uh and then we had wyatt teller and brandon scherf kind of vying for spots on our bootleg all pro team when i went back and watched scherf in rewind getting ready for that all pro episode i had moved scherf down to my second team all pro which is still really good it means he's the third best guard in the league and I had to move him back up into into first with a tie with Wyatt Teller because I just couldn't decide between Wyatt Teller and Scherf because Scherf was so dominating on my rewatch. And I thought, man, he, <laughs> I just can't put him at the second team. So fully understand Washington thinking, hey, you're not going to get another guy like this. Um, now then, expensive interior guards <laughs> are a luxury this year. You're seeing them get cut. Uh, left and right because of the dropping salary cap, but uh, retaining Sheriff on a salary on a franchise tag, good move, um, gives them solid interior protection for whoever's going to be their quarterback and moving that offense to the next step next year. So, no real hesitation on Sheriff whatsoever. Taylor Moton is sneaky good. I like Taylor Moton. He is a road grader. He is very solid as a big right tackle. I. You know, Loki wanted him to be Bobby Massey's replacement in Chicago. I thought he would have been awesome. He would have been an upgrade for sure. Um, but uh, when I saw him on the list, I thought, oh, man, are they really going to let him go? <laughs> are they really going to let him, again, a team with some money, the Panthers, are they going to let him out of town? And sure enough, I was talking to uh, Brad Spielberger, who works for Pro Football Focus, focusing on contracts and values, and he was like, there's no way he leaves. And I was like, no way you're crushing all my hope. He's, he's absolutely not shaking loose. Brad looked at me and was like, no, nah, man, he's not getting loose. So when he got tagged, uh, I saw the, the notification that he got tagged come across Twitter and I DM that to Brad and I was like, okay, so you were right. You know, you were, you were correct to crush all my hopes and smash my dreams, but no, I like Taylor Moton a lot. He's performed, um, I think he's progressed even more than I thought he would uh, coming out in the draft. And it's just a very solid, again, like you said, power right tackle, great upper body strength, really strong hands. Um, one of those guys that once you're engaged with, you're probably not going to win. You're, you're going to have to stay out of his reach and get by him, which is possible. Um, doesn't have the lightest feet, but if he gets his hands on you and, and engages with power, you're not getting around. So I, I fully understand Carolina young team might be making a change at quarterback. In fact, I think that's probably pretty likely. They don't seem super sold on Teddy. And again, removing a piece or letting a piece go like Taylor Moton and creating a hole uh, on your offensive line when you've got that guy in the building and you can keep him because you have the resources. It's not a it's not a cap issue. I think it's just a smart move. I mean, w w just looking at the value in the division because there's a lot of really good edge rushers in that division and you just you kind of go through the six division games last year you know going up against 
all there's you know New Orleans is four deep at edge, zero pressures in week seven. Um, you know, going up against like Frank Clark in week nine, only two pressures, which is very good against Frank Clark, who's very not super consistent, but very talented. You know, against Tampa with JPP and Shaq Barrett, zero pressures. Um, against uh, the Smith brothers, that was his worst game of the year, and it was still only four pressures, which. I mean, that's a half for Bobby Massey <laughs> on a bad day. Like, Yeah, no, I like Moton. I, I think Moton's terribly underrated. When I was talking to some people earlier in the season before this kind of became really clear that Carolina, you know, everybody was still kind of shaking out. And I think are still shaking out the way, you know, roster preferences are going to work and the way coaching staffs are going to prioritize talent, especially in a low cap year. I started mentioning Moton. I was like, well, Moton's, you know, slated to be a free agent unless they tag him. And I'm not sure that he's good enough for a tag. He seemed like he might be just good enough not to get tagged, if that makes any sense. And I had a lot of people push back. They're like, Taylor Moton. Like, and I was like, have you not watched Taylor Moton? <laughs> it kind of sounds like yeah. you haven't actually seen what he can do because you're a bit incredulous. And I'm saying, look, this guy is a clear, and I mean crystal clear upgrade over a guy like Bobby Massey and a bunch of people. And admittedly so, not everybody watches every team or every game. They might only see him a couple of times a year. And they were just like, Taylor Moton. And I was like, yeah, Taylor Moton. <laughs> he's really good. I mean, the guy, you know, he's a guy the you guy want. shut out Montez sweat and chase young. Like, yeah, no, he's very good. <laughs> he gave up nothing. to now, him. And the tag makes perfect sense here. He's a young player. He's ascending. They have the money they need to protect whichever quarterback they bring into the building. Need to add a weapon or two. Uh, and then, you know, you could again, very quickly in Carolina be cooking with gas. But if you remove, a blue chip talent off your offensive line, then it's almost a double negative. You have to use an asset or some more assets to plug that hole. So if you were kind of wavering on Moton's talent or thought he might not be the guy, then letting him go is fine. He's still going to be expensive to replace because he plays a premium position. Look, offensive tackles are expensive, whether they're in the draft or in free agency. So if you've got one in hand, yeah, tagging him is a safe and solid move. Uh, another, I, I guess you could say, predicted tag um, was Chris Godwin, which, you know, there was a lot of Ravens fans out there, a lot of Jets fans out there that were, were hoping and wishing that Chris Godwin would somehow hit the market. But I, I kind of, you know, I look at it and it's like, you know, Bruce Arians literally told you guys he's not getting to the market. One of the first things he said at the Super Bowl party was, your ass ain't going nowhere. And he meant it because Chris Godwin is their most important receiver. So, I, I you know, the kind of shock and despair by Ravens fans, um, I didn't quite understand that because it's like we knew he was going to get tagged. We, we knew there was literally no way Chris Godwin was going to be a free agent. There were some other guys like Allen Robinson I thought was like more 50-50. Chris Godwin, no way. He's an elite receiver. He's been top 10 in the league at minimum for the last two years. He is the most important receiver on that roster, even more than Mike Evans, even more than AB, uh, even more than I mean any of their number of tight ends. Like he is the guy that defenses double, even though he's mostly a slot receiver for them. He is the guy that gets double teamed constantly. Like Mike Evans gets one on ones because of Chris Godwin. AB gets one on ones because of Chris Godwin. The tight ends run wide ass open twenty yards down the field because the safeties are so focused on Chris Godwin. And you see in both games against Kansas City 
how apparent that was. Like their game plan was for the love of God, don't let Chris Godwin beat us. And he still did a few times in both of those games. So yeah, Chris Godwin, I think was the least surprising tag out of all of them to me, just because of how damn good he is and how the team literally told us weeks ago, no, he's not making it to the market. (laughs) No, you see that on film. Chris Godwin is the receiver, the offensive weapon on Tampa's roster that defenses focus on taking away first. And I think all the other fan bases, um, enthusiasm, optimism, uh, can really be cooked up to a couple of, uh, looking back in hindsight, kind of pixie dust reasons, right? One is they have all that other talent, right? They could afford to lose him. How can they possibly afford to keep him with all those other players, all those other pieces on offense? The other one being, hey, the cap's going down. Maybe they'll feel the squeeze. And, you know, they already have like a lot of replacements on the roster. So maybe, right. This is what starts creeping into fans brains. And then, you know, through the playoffs, he had a couple of terrible drop games and that is highly unlike him. That is wildly out of character for Chris Godwin. But that's when, if you think about it, the national audience starts watching all those games, right? And all Mm. they see of Chris Godwin, if they're not a Bucks fan is man, that guy drops balls left and right. They won the Super Bowl. They got all that other talent. The cap's going down. Hey, maybe Chris Godwin's going to shake loose, right? And in hindsight, all that's garbage. And Arians told us, your ass ain't going nowhere. And that wasn't coach speak. Arians is probably the least coach speak coach in the league. He was literally looking at that guy saying, you're important to this team. And no, 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 you ain't getting free. So just so you know, (laughs) you'll be here next year. And that's fine. But I think people might have sort of uh, gotten their hopes up for some reasons that aren't real reasons. Because if you look at the tape, Chris Godwin is like Tyreek Hill. He is the don't let that guy beat us guy on the Bucks. Yeah. Uh, before we get into some notable free agents that were not tagged, including a couple of Godwin's teammates, why don't we pay some bills here and thank our sponsor for this week, Purple Mattress. Purple Mattress has been the most innovative sleep system on the market for over 15 years now, and it's all because of their unique patented technology, the Purple Grid. The Purple Grid has over 1,800 open air channels that keep you cool and comfortable throughout the night. They are highly flexible to relieve pressure on your body no matter your size and no matter how you sleep, whether you're a side sleeper, a back sleeper, a stomach sleeper, it fits everybody. I can tell you from experience, having felt that grid myself when they sent me and EJ some samples, that it is an extremely cool design, and I mean that in more ways than one. The vertical channels don't look like they can support you, but trust me, they can when you get onto it. It's it's actually kind of remarkable technology, and because of all those channels, it's not hot at all. You get like really good kind of refreshing, cool air. Uh, you know, you, you feel really comfortable throughout the night, especially in the summer, which I can attest to last summer, uh, just how comfortable it is. So they are very confident in their product. They are confident in their technology. So confident, in fact, that every single order comes with a 100-night risk-free trial, 
Every single mattress also ships for free and is delivered right to your door. And at the end of your trial, if you're not completely satisfied, they will come pick up your mattress at no cost to you. So if you want to try it out for yourself, go to purple.com slash bootleg10 and use promo code bootleg10. For a limited time with that code, you'll get 10% off any purple mattress order of $200 or more. Again, that is purple.com slash bootleg10, promo code bootleg10, for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Terms and conditions apply. And with that being said, EJ, uh, let's dive into some of these you know, huge names and maybe some of the lesser known names that were not tagged. And again, this is by no means a complete list, but it's a pretty substantial part of it. And these are just kind of some of the household names that you'll recognize on there. Uh, at first, I'll just kind of do all the edges because the edge class in particular is pretty ridiculous. We got Shaq Barrett from Tampa, Bud Debris from Pittsburgh, Carl Lawson from Cincinnati, Yannick Ngakwe, Matt Judon, Hassan Reddick, who's coming off a, a pretty quiet 12 and a half sack season, and then Romeo Acora, who's an even quieter 10 sack guy from up in Detroit. None of those guys were tagged, despite being... I guess you could say some of the more important players on their respective defenses. I mean, it's it's hard to find good pass rushers, and all of them, or at least most of them, I think, qualify for that. Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, uh, two really good tight ends. Different skill sets, but both very, very good, uh, are also hitting the market. They avoided the tag from Tennessee and uh, the Chargers, respectively. Aaron Jones avoided the tag. Corey Lindsay, uh, Lindsley excuse me, avoided the tag. Chris Carson... He's hitting the market, and Shaquille Griffin, a very talented corner for Seattle, also avoided the tag as well. And Griffin, he's been kind of up and down throughout his career, but you can't really deny the, the length, the speed, um, just the, the actual raw talent that he's got with him. You, you, you put him with a really good DB coach, and um, I think he can do some damage. So overall, really good list of free agents. Tough year to be a free agent because there's not a lot of money to go around, but uh, a few of these guys are in fact going to get paid and paid very handsomely. Who kind of sticks out to you the most among the non-tagged free agents um, that, that's about to get a pretty big, uh, pretty big infusion of cash in their checking account? I think the offensive side, Kenny Galladay, like you said, he's the number one. He changed Detroit's offense, and it's not that often that you can say that about any one player. But we brought this up multiple times last year on the Bootleg Football Podcast that when Kenny Galladay played for Detroit, they were dangerous. When he didn't, they looked very, very pedestrian. So obviously the offensive side of the ball has been blown up in Detroit. Matt Stafford's moved on. He's playing out near the Pacific now. Kenny Galladay is not going to be back with the Lions after not receiving the tag. And he is going to generate significant interest for teams that are looking for an alpha number one receiver, a big guy that can stretch the field, make chunk yardage plays, score touchdowns, uh, turn the scoreboard around. Kenny Galladay is very capable of that, and he is sort of the clear-cut number one amongst what is now a very important position in the NFL. It used to be that wide receiver was kind of interchangeable. Now you really can't get along with not just one, but a few good ones in the NFL. That's just the way the game is going. And the other one is Jonu Smith. Jonu Smith is generating a lot of interest for a player that may not have the highest profile. Very productive, smaller tight end, nose for the end zone, really tough, 
Uh, good speed can stretch the field as well from that position is definitely in that smaller faster tight end mode he's going to get paid as well I think some people might be surprised especially in its sort of down cap year what the contract numbers for Johnny Smith look like because there's going to be some competition that's going to drive the price up the deal is in free agency if you don't have one you have to overpay for one doesn't really matter what the position is it's going to be a little bit less because it's a tight end and not a wide receiver Uh, But he can produce wide receiver-like numbers in the right system. And some team is going to be convinced that Jonu Smith is the key to the puzzle. uh, And they're going to throw a a big bag of cash at him. Edge is really interesting. There's so many edge names, it's hard to pick out one. Uh, I have several favorites in that group. Um, Most notably, probably Carl Lawson. I think somebody's going to be very happy. They might not... I don't think he's going to get paid the most money out of that group, but he might be the most productive. Um, And I know that seems like a crazy statement considering Bud Dupree and Shaq Barrett are in there. I like both of those guys a lot. But um, for the sort of dollar to production ratio, I think Lawson might have the best shot in that group. And there's just so many edge players. And that's good news for teams because having studied most of the draft class edge players, it's not a great year for edges. There's not a dominant edge um, like a Chase Young right up at the top or a Bosa brother. We're kind of used to that. Uh, there's not that player this year. And there's some depth there. There's some guys that can play pretty well. And there's some starting edges tossed in there as well, but not a ton. And having a free agent edge class like this is a big deal because you can balance it out for teams that need edge pressure. They can now look at both sources and say, well, you know, we can either you know, race for that one or two guys up high, or we can pick some other positions we need and we can go pay a free agent and keep our draft capital in the cabinet for what we, what we could really use at other positions. So it really balances it out. It's part of that approach to team building. And that is a ridiculously talented slate of edge rushers that are available. I did not predict that all those guys would make the market. Usually a bunch of them catch the tag, get retained, get a contract, whatever there's a lot of the top you know names in the edge rushing game represented in that list uh and that's just good news for teams again in a down cap year not everybody's gonna get a bag this is like a game of musical chairs and the music's gonna stop really soon and not everybody's gonna have a chair or a contract and we're gonna see people um i had this thought today we're we might see some people opt out for a year Hmm. because the money is coming back next year and everybody knows it. And we've seen some players notably take a year off, whether it was for COVID, whether it was because they retired, they didn't like their contract situation. They didn't like that. You know, it's good for their bodies. It's tough because NFL careers are so short and quite frankly, NFL attention spans are so incredibly short that if you're out of the spotlight for a year, can be very hard to get back in, but we might see a few top players that don't sign a contract right away and the grass isn't greener and people are offering them, you know, very small contracts well below their skills. And they might say, you know, I'm going to take a year off. They're free agents. They don't have to sign with anybody. Um, it's not like they're holding out. And we might see a couple of top talents go, you know, I'm just going to just going to let this knee heal up a little bit. I'll be back next year when the coffers are full and everybody's flush with cash. And I can say, Hey, I'm rested and relaxed and ready to go. Um, because the money's going to run out really quickly this year. There's a lot of teams already over the $182.5 million cap. 
Uh, and it's going to dry up really fast. There's, there's not going to be those sort of really good late deals in second and third wave of free agency. There's just not the money for them. And if you're a top tier player, again, ego is part of this. If you believe you're worth that money and it's just not available, we might see a couple people for the first time just go, you know, I'm going to take a break. I'll be back next year when there's money. You're not wrong, and especially when it comes to this edge class. And I, I was kind of looking it up while you were talking. You want to know what a the wildest free agency related stat I think I've seen in a long time is? Three of the top five pass rushers in the entire league in terms of total pressures generated last season are now free agents. I have never ever seen that no not if they're young not if they're young i mean shaq barrett he's he's played a couple years uh on cheap deals and this is kind of his shot he's he's you know literally said like i'm not like i'm getting paid this time and i think he will he led the nfl in pressures um he was number one carl lawson was number four at 64 pressures the sack production was only down at six but in terms of just pressures i mean he had 24 qb hits like that he's a terror I love Lawson. He's a terror. He's amazing. And Romeo Aquaro, or Aquara is at number five in the NFL. And he had a 10-sack season, but he was also extraordinarily productive. He had, you know, as many pressures as Joey Bosa did. He was, in terms of pressures per game, identical to Miles Garrett and Brian Burns, who were two guys that, that we look at highly. He had more pressures per game than Khalil Mack. And he's a free agent. Like, it's it's insane. Like, this edge class is actually insane in terms of productivity that that, that they let walk and I, I again Aquara was one of those ones where it's, I I expected him to get it I was kind of between him and Galladay because they're both extraordinarily important and they let both of them go so again kind of curious moves for Detroit and we, we touched on this a little bit maybe they know that they're so far away from competing that they're like eh we, like why spend the money when you know, we're still three years away anyway. And by the time that we get, you know, good enough, like we're going to have to pay him again. So I, I can understand that thinking. But again, it was just surprising to see two, you know, top 10 players at their position from the same team, both at the market with very little resistance from the team that that had them. So uh, speaking of Galladay specifically, by the way, since I am on the topic of the Lions, Am I the only one that thought it was really curious that as soon as Kenny Galladay was reported to not get the tag, all of a sudden the Patriots were trying to trade and kill Harry, Nikhil Harry? No, you weren't the only one. They, remember, they have the third most cap space. It's like sixty-eight million. So if anybody's going to throw a just absolute shit ton of money at Kenny Galladay because they don't know how to draft receivers, they can't do it themselves. You might as well go get a free agent. It's going to be the Patriots. Like, I, I very strongly believe that we're going to see Cam Newton throwing passes to Kenny Galladay next year, unless they somehow make a deal for Jimmy uh, for Jimmy Garoppolo, which is possible, but kind of sounds like they're not going to be able to pry him away from San Francisco. So I think we're seeing Cam Newton run it back for another year in New England, throw into Kenny Galladay, throw some money at Jonu Smith or Hunter Henry, whichever one, uh, and, and just see if this offense can work if you get better weapons and a quarterback that actually has a full offseason in the system for once. Hmm. I'll give you a different scenario. What about Mac Jones throwing to Kenny Galladay? Ooh. <laughs> I mean, you know what's ironic? It'd still be the third best receiver Mac Jones has thrown to in the last calendar year. 
Yeah, I, I, it's fascinating, but you know, Belichick and Saban are notorious buddies. They talk all the time. Uh, there's definitely an Alabama to New England pipeline. Um, you know, look, there's an Alabama to a lot of teams pipeline because they, they have a lot of five-star players and, and they win a lot of national championships and that puts a lot of talent on NFL rosters, uh, for sure. But Saban and Belichick go back, they're friends. Uh, they've been on staffs before. They definitely share information about players and, Mac Jones seems very much sort of right down the middle in terms of what the Patriots uh, like in a quarterback. He's smart. He's efficient. Uh, he's pretty accurate. Doesn't have the biggest arm, not the most mobile, but he's not a statue. And, you know, I could see that. I could see them, uh, you know, getting that spot, picking Mac Jones, picking up a guy like Kenny Galladay, adding some pieces and just running right along. Uh that that wouldn't surprise me but uh some other names on the list running backs gonna be a very tough year it's a tough year to be a free agent period but it's a really tough year to be a free agent running back and aaron jones one Mm -hmm. of my favorites he headlined my sleeper team the year he came out in the draft uh i've loved him uh was kind of bummed the packers got him i mean i'm glad he gets a shot in the nfl i'm glad it's turned out it's been a star turn for aaron jones he is a great modern two-way running back he's good in the passing game very good in the passing game great in the run game um still young not a ton of miles has had some split carries in green bay and you know it's unfortunate he's hitting the market he deserves a top tier running back deal uh up near the sort of dalvin cook numbers that we saw last summer um and along with several other top running backs he's not getting that this year like he might yeah like it only takes one team but again low cap year tons of financial stress lots of good running backs in the draft this year to the point where you're going to be able to get starters down in the fourth round no problem uh, it's just a very tough case for Aaron Jones's agents, even with all his accolades and abilities to say, you should throw big money at this guy that plays this position. It's just unfortunate for him. And on the other end of the spectrum, Chris Carson, right? Chris Carson is a, is a sort of very talented guy, but he's a, he's sort of a one speed back and he fits very well in the old school run at first, uh, Seattle system. That's just not a popular take right now. The sort of big power one back system. Almost everybody's a two back system. Receiving is a very big part of that. Carson is an okay receiver. He doesn't get a ton of credit for it because he's he's such a pound it back. But he's got a bunch of carries on him. He's got a bunch of hard miles in terms of running back. He's got, you know, heavy carries. And it's the <laughs> I would not want to be his agent this offseason, right? Because I don't think any number he's going to be able to put in front of Chris from a team is going to make Chris really happy, right? Chris is going to be like, this is it? Really? This is all you could get? And his agent's going to be like... But that's that's the position I he know, plays. But his, his agent's going to be like, look, man, you were lucky to get this. And if you don't take it, somebody else is gonna. And you're never going to make it back in, right? You're going to end up as like a you know, an injury addition after training camp for somebody because nobody's got any money and there's a ton of good cheap talent in the draft this year, running back, even guys like you, big heavy hitters, you know, who are probably as good or better than you when you were coming out. And what you do just really isn't 
highly valued. It's replaceable, quite frankly, in the NFL. It's a tough thing to hear as an NFL player that's had, you know, a lot of good carries and a bunch of success. Chris Carson is an effective NFL player, but only in very certain systems, and there's so few of them. He's just in a tough spot this year. I feel for him because he's a good player, by all accounts, a really good guy. Just a tough year to come up for free agency. Seahawks are not going to pay. I mean, Seahawks might bring him back on a nothing deal because he fits their system and they could save some money by doing it. And it might be the only deal he gets. Yeah. I mean, the Seahawks, ironically, have more cap space than almost any other team that would like him. You know, like obviously the Steelers would would love him, but they've only got six million. Seahawks have 20 but, you know, like I could see the Falcons wanting him, but they're 14 million over right now. And they're not going to you know, they're not going to use any of those. Like, that's why they had to get rid of all their safety. I don't safeties. think even with Arthur Smith going to the Falcons that Carson would be a, a preeminent target for them. Could I see him being in their running back room and being a very sort of very reliable number two or a short yardage guy? Like I could. I don't think Arthur Smith uh, in his first year as a Falcons coach coming from Derrick Henry, who is also big, but a very different runner than Chris Carson is going to say, Hey, Chris, come be my a number one. Like he's not going to build his offense around that. I really don't believe that. So it's possible. And I could definitely see him fitting in, in that running back room, but not as a primary option. So again, that's sort of a second or a third tier free agency deal. And this year, for running back, that's going to be like a vet minimum deal. I mean, there's just not money for it. His best move is probably go to Miami because they actually have money. And also, they don't have a back like him. I could see that working actually very well. That's a good spot. Like, if um, if you remember that Patriots backfield when Flores was up, up in New England, uh, where they had um, Sonny Michelle when he was still, you know, just an effective hammer in between the tackles and James White or even going further back uh even further back than that you had uh wow. um Ben Jarvis Green Ellis and uh god Danny Woodhead yeah. you know like again they're more extreme versions yeah, LeGarrette Blount. of, of I mean, each style LeGarrette Blount and the Patriots yeah, like Blunt, big you know he that's what his role was when he got to the Patriots was very Chris Carson like right between the tackles hit him hard I expect you to get your three to five uh, you know, you're going to wear them down. That's that's Chris Carson in a nutshell. I uh, The Aaron Jones thing, by the way, speaking of running backs, I know a lot of people were were a little bit surprised like because of Aaron Rodgers being such an advocate for Aaron Jones. Maybe they were a little bit surprised that the Packers are letting him test it. The one that really surprised me for the Packers was Lindsley not getting tagged. If anybody got tagged for Green Bay, I thought it was going to be him because he's – arguably the best center in the entire league uh in fact i think both you and i had him as our as our all pro center in the all pro special and and for a you know center's not necessarily a premium position but elite centers make a difference especially in a predominantly zone run system uh and i i was a little bit curious why they let him get away and the only thing i could come up with and I'm being dead serious about this, is that they have pocket aces in in the form of Creed Humphrey, where they've just already written his name on the card. And they're like, look, if we lose Lindsley, we know Creed Humphrey has a pretty good chance of being there when we pick at 29 or 30, whatever the hell their pick is. We run that in, 
we have an elite zone blocking center, at least potentially elite zone blocking center for dirt cheap for the next five, potentially six years. That's going to give us a lot of cap relief and probably, again, there's going to be any drop off from Lindsley to any other center, but not that much. Like you and I both love Creed Humphrey and I kind of feel like they wouldn't let Lindsley go unless they had their eye on somebody who could at least appreciably replace him. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's a bad supposition at all. And and this year's interior offensive line class, centers and guards, is, I don't want to say sneaky talented, it's just flat out talented. There's a lot of talent there, and it's not just at the top. There's a lot of guys that are going to play mm-hmm. very, very well. And I think you're right. I think probably the Packers have somebody in mind. And the thing that, I wonder about is actually the other side is more about Lindsley. Like who's going to pay him? Because you're right. He's a top center, if not the top center. And they do make a difference. Top centers help gel lines, call protections, do a lot of very important things. And he also has the physical skills. This isn't just a sort of, you know, coach on the field, leadership, veteran, you know, 10, 12 year center, right. That can't move anymore. Like Lindsley's still, you know, very, very effective physically as a Chicago fan. I can tell you that. Um, but I wonder who do you think picks him up? Right. I think you're probably right about the Packers yes. position of they, they've got an idea for a replacement in mind. You don't let, uh, that's the other thing is quarterbacks tend to be, uh, pretty particular about their centers. They like their centers. So Aaron Rodgers likes his center and they like his running back and he, you know, the Packers let them both go. Um, so they better get him something good. And I think they can certainly at the end of the first round, but who pays Lindsley? There's not that many people with money. You got to have an opening. I, th- I think he's, uh, I think he's already got his flight booked to to LaGuardia because I mean, you go from Matt Lafleur to Mike Lafleur. They have a need at center. Like Connor McGovern's not terrible, but I mean, Corey Lindsley's again an elite center in an offense that gets such a massive boost by having elite center play. It's the same freaking language. He doesn't have to learn anything. They have a ton of money. They're trying to build, potentially build, either around Sam Darnold or Wilson or Fields or whoever the hell it is. Get them better protection. You know, improve the run game by having a great pivot. Like, the Jets make so much sense to me that as soon as Green Bay let him go, I almost just already put a Jets jersey on him in my mind because it's such a perfect fit. I can't think of anybody else that even comes close. No, I think in terms of drawing strings between the pegs, uh, there's enough of them that line up there that that would be a very natural move. Uh, And it's great protection for any young quarterback. And I would still consider Darnold a pretty young quarterback. Obviously, if they pick up a rookie, they've got a very young quarterback. And having a veteran center is a calming presence for a young quarterback. It's almost like having a great tight end as a safety blanket, right? Um, those are two things you really want for a young quarterback is a is an experienced center uh, that he knows he's not going to get killed behind who can say, look, I've got it, right? I've got the protections. Just listen to what I call and by about game six, you can call them. But for now, I got it, right? I understand. I understand the system familiarity is a big chip there as well. That's a really good call. Uh, what do you think he gets paid, I wonder? <laughs> Just in terms of top production, Ooh. like, are they going to say, well, normally we'd pay you, you know, crazy free agency top dollar, but 
we're going to pay you close to center top dollar, but no, there's no free agency well, bonus, right? I mean, the, the top centers right now, Ryan Kelly's at 12.4. Rodney Hudson, who's a beast, is at 11.3. Treader's yeah. at 10.9. Jensen's at 10.5. Yeah, I think 10. At 10. I think between 10 and 11 gets it done because I think, you know, again, Corey Lindsley's agent's going to be pushing for more, but it's going to be tough to get, even from teams that are flush with, with money. And again, he might sign a deal that's, you know, maybe a three-year deal that's reasonable this year and ramps up in the next two years because, again, teams know they're going to have cash again next year. But that's really interesting in terms of uh, what he ends up getting paid. I, I have fantasies that the Bears have money and sign him because, you know, Mustafer was good at center, but, oh, boy, I could see the interior of that line with James Daniels, Corey Lindsley, and... Oh, and man. white hair, like you, oh boy, you know, you go, you, you're running wide zone like 30 times a game. Cause who's yeah, going to stop you it? Go get a solid right tackle <laughs> to replace Massey. I mean, say that you stick at 20 uh, again, if Russell Wilson's in town, you don't have your first round pick. Uh, but, but say you do something else at quarterback, which is not what I'm advocating, <laughs> whatever the cost is for Russell Wilson, it's fine. But if you're at 20, like a Tevin Jenkins at 20 and look at that line left to right like Leno, Daniels, Lindsley, yeah. Whitehair, and Tevin Jenkins. Woo. Uh, that would be You fun. never have to pass that again. That would be fun. <laughs> you, you never have to throw the ball for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, give it to David Montgomery. Like Hire whoever you want to hand off to David Montgomery. Not that I'm advocating. As a, as a David Montgomery dynasty owner, I am totally <laughs> okay all, with Yes, that. please. Get Corey Lindsay on the phone now. <laughs> no, I think New York, in terms of the Jets, makes a really – so you, you made a really solid case for that, and I agree that would be a that would be a lockstep fit, like for sure. So fascinating. Well, why don't we get out of here? Uh, because we've been talking franchise tags for a while, and guess what, guys? It's draft season, so we gotta we gotta get back to grinding the tape. We gotta get back to writing up our reports because we have an absolute shit ton of draft content coming out pretty soon here, starting with our return of the 10 gem series on offense and defense. We're recording that early next week. So we'll have that out for you pretty soon here. And then after that, we're, we're probably going to end up taking more um, deep dives into certain position groups, because there are certainly some position groups that deserve their own episodes, the receiver classes, the offensive line groups. Um, we're going to have some really cool interviews coming up with uh, like guys like Mark Schofield, who's kind of a quarterback guru in terms of evaluating. And so we're going to have him on to talk about the big five. Uh, Brandon Thorne, who's one of the best kind of O-line analysis, you know, if, if you're guru. a subscriber to O-line Twitter. Yeah, guru. Uh, he works with O-line master or OL masterminds with, um, with Duke Mannyweather. So he works with all these guys and he watches tons of tape. He has a, a great... Um, article series kind of scouting every single offensive line prospect. So we're going to have him uh, him on to talk about that. Jeff Schwartz, who's also an offensive line guru, we're going to have him to talk and kind of give his own takes on this offensive line class. We, we have a lot of great guests, a lot of great draft content coming up between now and late April. So please uh, stick with us. Hopefully you guys enjoy everything we have coming your way. EJ, do you have any last words before we get out of here? 
Ah, we'll keep dropping the draft live streams. We did one of those last week. It was wildly successful. Can't thank everybody from, again, across the globe enough for dropping in, dropping questions, dropping super chats. Um, we will keep those fairly free form because we know everybody is thirsty for draft content. So we'll keep pumping out the podcasts, get you the information that way, share these guests with you, which is going to be tremendous. So excited for all that. And then when everybody needs to blow off steam, including us, we'll drop a live stream, uh, talk to you guys for a couple hours about the draft, uh, and let you guys really guide that experience because that's just been a ton of fun for us. And there's just so much content over the next five to six weeks. It's going to be a blast. Of course, we will have our draft live streams during the actual draft, um, reaction podcasts, live streams. We've got it all for you. So guests, a couple surprises along the way, maybe even some giveaways. Um, just keep it dialed in and we will keep you dialed in. Thank you again, everybody for listening and we'll see you next week. Later. Later.